0: morning when you want the news you need the front page every hour on the press box nothing's writing on this except the uh, first amendment the constitution freedom of the press and maybe the future of the country not that any of that
1: matters and now the news the top four in the college football playoff georgia michigan alabama and Cincinnati. Oklahoma State comes in at number five. Notre Dame at six. So we have one more week. Conference championship week before the college football playoff is set. First question for you. Maybe the most important one. How confident are you Alabama falls out of the top four if they lose to Georgia?
0: I am confident. I think think with two losses they get out this year because Notre Dame doesn't have any games left right so they're and they played really really well of late although for the committee chairman to come out and say we're going to consider teams without Uh. their head coach is just a complete joke (laughs) um i'm very confident you know yesterday listening to those guys on tv on espn when they came out i always laugh at their reasoning for putting teams in and out so yesterday it's like well baylor fell a spot because it had a close game i think against texas tech but they won the game and then but why wasn't that the reasoning for Alabama? Why didn't Alabama drop? See, that's the thing. They can explain away everything, these people in the room. Now this was this was the T V, this was Herb Street and Joey Galloway and these guys explaining this. That was their reasoning. Well, Baylor dropped because they you know, they had a close game. Well, Alabama needed a historic epic ninety, was it, ninety yard drive, ninety nine yard drive to win to even force overtime, yeah. but they stay where they're at? I have a problem with that. And it's and that, I I guarantee that happens in the room also. They will explain away anything they want to get in the four that they desire.
1: Do so, you think Baylor has a shot? No. If they beat Oklahoma State and get a couple of losses?
0: Well, there's going to have to be, to me, a lot of losses. Okay, let me, let me ask
1: them. you this. Does, if There'll have to be some losses, but let's say Baylor wins the Big 12 championship. Do they jump Notre Dame and Ohio State who would not be conference champions? I mean, if the...
0: Committee, the committee's stance of conference champions mean a ton than they would, but I don't. I don't necessarily that mean that something. Alabama got in one year; they didn't win the SEC championship. I don't even think they were in the SEC championship, and they got in. They weren't. No, so- they weren't. So again, I, you know, do they? They're behind Ole Miss right now. Now they would have a conference championship that they have a dozen. They
1: beat the number five team yeah. in the country. I think that to me is the big thing is if Baylor wins, they pick up a win against the fifth best team in the country going into the game
0: and they have the big 12
1: championship, right? I could see them jumping Ohio state for and sure. Notre Dame. I think I could see them jumping Notre Dame, but we'll see. Um, do you think let's, let's make this assumption here. Alabama knocks off Georgia. Then they're both in sec gets two in. Michigan wins. Cincinnati wins and Oklahoma State wins. Do you think the committee would jump Cincy with Oklahoma State saying, hey, they just knocked off the ninth ranked team in the country in Baylor? They're the Big Twelve champ. We like that better than the Asians. I think, champ.
0: and not that I agree with this, just listening to a week to week comments on these shows about it, I think it would go to you know, Cincy thirty one, Houston twenty nine, Oklahoma State forty two, Baylor twenty one, let's put Oklahoma State in. I really do. I think that means a lot. Well, again, it's them explaining away how the hell to get Cincinnati out of there. They're going to find any way to get Cincinnati out of there, in my opinion. So Cincinnati goes and plays a close game, which they could against Houston. Houston's 11-1. and one. People forget that. They've won 11 straight games. And Oklahoma State beats Baylor handily. They'll come out and say, well, you know, they, they, they beat the number nine team in the country handily, and they're a Big 12 championship team. I, I'm going to have a hard time believing the Big 12 team doesn't get in. Jared, you
1: ready for this? Notre Dame Oh God, kill me. Their path, they they really I mean again, Baylor could jump them there, but like their path is two of Alabama, Cincinnati, or Michigan lose. If Alabama loses to Georgia and one of Michigan or Cincinnati gets upset, there's a good chance Notre Dame's in the playoff.
2: Oh god
1: it's a better notre dame team than in the past
0: oh okay
1: that's matters it, it is
2: it
0: is i had no idea the, the anti-notre dame i didn't I had it's no not
2: idea. it's not anti-notre dame they keep putting them in there and every time they bleep the bed they well, don't show up
0: and we keep putting them in there and it's like look they're not gonna be as good as an sec team look i'm a head-to-head guy i've always been head-to-head guy so i'm with you on that because even if cincinnati lost to houston I don't think either would get in, but if you ask me which one I'm going Cincinnati, they beat them. Like they beat them in South Bend. Like I'm taking Cincinnati. Now, neither would get in, I don't think if Cincinnati lose. Well, maybe Notre Dame does like Tyler said there's chaos and they and they put them in. But I'm I'm head-to-head guy and they beat them in South Bend, so I would vote for Cincinnati over Notre Dame. I get, I just think if Cincinnati loses, I mean, I, they they are praying that team loses.
2: I get the sneaking, like I get the I am just 100% part of me is just going Alabama's getting in. Win or lose to Georgia, they're getting in. Because someone in that room is going to go, R. We
1: could have Alabama, <laughs> and everyone's gonna go. Ooh, I do like I like the sound of that. I, I mean, Alabama could get in with a loss if like Michigan and Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State and they Cincinnati all lost. lost. Like if they all were to lose, yes. Then oh, they could be like the fourth. Then Alabama would just they're gonna get go yeah. brand stay. recognition, yeah. right? Yeah, Alabama he would he just stay because like, sure. then you'd be talking about well, you're, are you putting Baylor in over Oklahoma? Or are you putting like yeah? They could absolutely lose and stay in, but I think they need. A couple of losses, to sort do. of make it. If chaotic. they lose, the, if they win, both those teams. are I in. think for the committee, the easiest result here is as long as Georgia beats Alabama, there they might have to choose between Oklahoma State and Cincinnati, but that's fine. As long as Georgia beats Alabama, the committee is going to have a pretty easy job, right? They're going to pick yes. between two teams. Yes. If Georgia beats Alabama, if, if Alabama beats Georgia, it's going to be now. Much there's harder. two SEC teams in there, and then if Michigan wins, they're probably in, and now it's. You've got the big 12 champion. You have Cincinnati undefeated. Right. There's there becomes a whole bunch of teams that you're trying to figure out who deserves that final spot.
0: If Michigan gets in, how many like
2: thank pieces are we going to get about like Harbaugh finally is at the precipice
1: of (laughs) bringing Michigan back and loses to Georgia by 42. (laughs) Yes.
0: Oh, you know, I can't tell you that.
1: Julius Randall says the refs told him he isn't getting foul calls because he is too strong. His quote after yesterday's game, they lost to the Nets. He said, I don't know why they're watch what they're watching or what they're seeing. As aggressive as I played, attacking the paint, I can't be penalized for just being stronger than people. And that is an answer I got today. They said because certain contact doesn't affect me like it affects other players, because I am stronger, they miss calls. Do you believe Shaq? a referee exactly. actually said that? Do you believe a ref actually said that to Julius Randle? Because I do not. I don't believe they said it. Do I believe they do it? Yes. Yes. I believe it's true. They did it with Shaq. I believe it's true that that happens to bigger players. They would say that. Because if you look like Shaq or maybe Julius Randle, guy slaps you on the arm and your arm doesn't move. Right. It should still be a foul. You got slapped on the arm. But if your arm doesn't move, ref's probably not going to call it. But I have a hard time believing no, a referee. The get impeded in any
0: way. Right. I Why have a would hard a ref time put believing... himself
1: out right. there publicly and say something right. like that? I have a hard time believing a ref would say to Julius Randle, hey, man, you're just too strong. No, no. I I I can't no. believe a ref actually said no. that. I do not believe They would believe never they, right. they would be reprimanded. They
0: might be fired. Right. You can't say you can't tell a guy we're not calling fouls because you're too yeah. strong. The head of officials would say, "Hey, Jim, we need to talk." <laughs> you're not supposed <laughs> to say stuff like that. You can you think no it as loud it. as you want. <laughs> no, they think it. I'm sure they do it, but there's no way someone told him that. So not I, a
1: ref. I almost believe like Someone on the Knicks staff told Julius Randle that, and he was like, oh, the refs must have said that, and just like ran with it? Some tiny guy said that to me. Right. I think it was a ref. And again, is it true? I don't know if it's specifically true for Julius Randle, but it's true across the NBA that bigger players, stronger players don't get as many calls because they're not affected by it, even though it should still probably be a call. I just... I can't believe a ref would have said that out loud to Julius Randle, especially like during the game too. Like maybe like some retired ref would be like, yeah, Julius, I screwed you a couple of times. Yeah. (laughs) Donnie.
0: Some of those guys who took first place tickets and trained and changed them in on the airline.
1: Next question. Ohio state beat Duke 71 to 66. Duke had a 15 point lead in the second half. Duke did not score in the final four minutes of the game like they completely blew this one away uh they lose to ohio state so their reign as the number one team in the country is going to come to an end after coming in
0: i watched a little of purdue last week they'll be number one
1: yeah. next week they're good maybe should have been number good. one huh? well, russia maybe should have been number one already yeah, yeah they're really good uh gonzaga did you see they played a close game with tarleton state
0: couldn't get over the Duke last. What was the final?
1: Uh, they ended up winning by like seven or eight, but it was a one point game in the final three minutes or something oh, like that. That'll give the critics a lot of evidence. Yeah. Of, oh, they're just
0: not that good. WCC Tarleton team. State.
1: But hold on. I, I got to look this up. Tarleton State actually played somebody else really close this year, too. Like, that's not necessarily just a pushover swack team or something like that. Tarleton State out of the whack. Let's see. They played Michigan and lost by 11. Okay. So the, the last two games for Tarleton State are Michigan and Gonzaga, and they've lost by 11 and nine. Man, call them a Royal because they're racking up moral victories.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Hashtag. I don't care about your next question. Tiger Woods said leg amputation was on the table after his car accident. I Am I weird for being amazed that he's talking about coming back and playing golf again? Like, his whole thing is about, hey, I can't come back and play a whole year's worth of events. I can come back and maybe play a few here and there. But, like, is he actually going to come back and play PGA Tour events? I think he's going to try to play
0: events. I think he's going to try to play events. I like the quote, I'll play around here or there a little hit and giggle. I can do something like that. I mean, I play and hit and laugh because it went to the it went to the opposite fairway. I mean, that you laugh when you play and you're horrible. But Tiger Woods is giggling? That was a little weird. That, and he would, And how about press box transition? They
1: almost cut off my leg. You know, I play around here and I here and there and I giggle. He did say, the other thing he did say was like, it's kind of disheartening. He says like, when I hit a ball and it doesn't go as far as <laughs> yes. it used to. He's yeah. like, oh, I smoked that. Wait, yeah. what? It what? only went 310? <laughs> what the hell's happening? I, okay, again. I think it'll be amazing if he just even plays in an event again. Did you see him yesterday?
0: Yeah, beat up man. That yeah. was, and that was that's been a, that's been a while since since it happened. Yeah. You could tell, man, how much he was affected by it.
1: But we've talked about this a lot in terms of golf and paying attention to it. I probably won't watch a PGA Tour event. Maybe like on a Sunday if some majors I'll coming down him. at the end. If Tiger's playing in some random event yeah. in, I don't know, like Mississippi, I'll probably watch like two days worth yes, of golf yes. i'll be like wow yep. this guy probably should have died <laughs> and he's back playing in a <laughs> he's tour playing man. golf like it'll it'll be genuinely amazing and here the other part of that whatever random tournament he plays in next it's gonna be the most viewed oh. golf event in in golf history yeah
0: if he no matter what event he plays it doesn't it doesn't matter when he announces hey i'm gonna play next week like you said and you know, the the BMW opens somewhere, then CBS is going to throw a party because that thing is going to be watched by millions and millions of people.
2: Is it weird we got a full, like basically a full career out of John Daly, but we, we're not getting a
0: full oh, month. Oh, out of Tiger?
2: Yeah, yeah, like the most athletic golfer in the world, the guy who will hit the ball out of a woman's cleavage if she gives him 50 bucks.
0: <laughs> and a Diet Coke. <laughs>
1: Kaylong told me a couple days ago, "You gotta get rid of this echo." <laughs> I can't talk. I'm drunk. Whatever. <laughs> All right, you gotta tell me. Oh, Ed is still sighing about that. You gotta tell me if you believe this. Got uh, a dead arm. According to ESPN, Urban Meyer has no interest in taking another head coaching job in college and remains committed to rebuilding the Jags, per a source familiar with Urban Meyer's thinking. Jags are two and nine this year. Do you believe that Urban Meyer has no interest in another college shop like, say, Notre Dame?
0: I thought Jared was answering. I was still signing over Scherzer. <laughs> like you drunk when you <laughs> signed that contract. I think he would I think he would want Notre Dame. That was the one job he was all, supposedly again, all these people saying that's the one job he wanted. I think he stays because of his ego. I don't think he'd walk away. Yeah. I don't think he'd walk away now. I mean, they're horrible. I think his ego's <laughs> too big to say, oh, I failed. You know, like Saban stayed two years, and then he's 15 and 17, and he walked away or he went back to college. I don't think Urban's ready for that yet, which will probably internally piss him off because I do think he would love to have Notre Dame, but he just I
1: don't think he'll go. If he gets to 15 and 17 as a head coaching record, it's well, a hell of a season it, next year. It <laughs> means he's making the playoffs next year, and he <laughs> might win the, it might win the division championship. I Okay, here's the fascinating part of it. Notre Dame and Oklahoma are open right now. Yeah. It, uh, on this theory here that Urban Meyer, and, and obviously he thinks in his mind he's going to be successful at Jacksonville, but on the theory of, hey, you don't want to leave after one year, but maybe after two or three you could leave, is, is Notre Dame, Oklahoma, is that level of job going to be open? <sighs>
0: Who knows? I, I had I mean, no idea they were going to be open this year. I will say by the time he turns the Jags
1: around, they'll probably have been <laughs> open a couple of times. <laughs> All right. Coming up next, Ed's gone. And we'll jump into some UNLV basketball.
2: Mike, Claypool suggested yesterday that he needs to, who would like to have more fun at practice, maybe play some music. I'm suggesting you're not going to oblige his request. Well, you know, Claypool plays wide out and I'll let him do that. Um, I'll formulate the practice
0: approach. And I think that division of labor is probably appropriate. It's the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN, Las Vegas, 1100
1: AM and 100.9 FM. Great story in Pittsburgh with the Steelers, that chase Claypool complained that practice wasn't fun enough and they should play some music. And Mike Tomlin said, bleep your music. The division of labor is appropriate here. I will conduct practice how I see fit. You will get silence and you'll like it. (laughs) Like, I feel like Mike Tomlin could have answered that in a more diplomatic way of like, yeah, we'll talk about doing some more fun stuff, whatever. But he's like, no chance. This is my practice. I know what I'm doing. Mike Tomlin's usually good for about one of these a year
2: where he says something that's just delightfully stern. But this year, we got both this and the, I'm going to address this once and only once. (laughs) And it was like, Carson Palmer said it. We just had to ask you about it, man.
1: I know we've talked about Mike Tomlin before. They haven't actually won much of anything recently. Like, they'll make the playoffs every other year, but not actually do anything. I am fascinated to see him without Ben Roethlisberger. See, I think they'll be fine without Ben Roethlisberger. Right. I, th- I think so, too. But I'm fascinated to see, like, oh, roethlisberger has gone. Like, the last... They might start winning right, more. The last two to three years, they've been bad, and Rothlisberger's been bad. But so I'd mean, be fascinated you- to see, okay, has gone. They have, whatever, a rookie quarterback or, you know, Derek Carr, whoever the hell it ends up being. I'd love to see, yeah, Mike Tomlin. Oh, yeah, he's a really good coach. Look at that. He got to the AFC Championship game with matt corral or malik willis or whatever rookie quarterback they have i
2: i will all i will never not enjoy the fact that the steelers will find a starting linebacker somewhere in the third round and a generational wide receiver <laughs> in the sixth and meanwhile people are like we gotta fire tomlin big ben doesn't have enough help
1: <laughs> i mean for as bad as big ben is he doesn't have enough help that's accurate but he's the problem uh well I-
2: Remember last year, that fumble where it looked like it, it, they ball, he, the ball goes behind him and it was, oh, he's not going to catch up to that. It's just rolling towards the goal line. It's like, oh, Ben, Ben's not, he's not getting there.
1: All right. Uh, I do want to read this tweet here. Christopher Boyd on Twitter. Let me know. Uh, talking about the COVID outbreaks in the NHL and why there might be more. One, is it true or do we just notice more when a starter goes out in the NHL versus depth players in the NFL? I do think that's a fair question in terms of the number of positive cases because again the Cowboys have had an issue right now. LeBron James just missed a game last night and is going to miss multiple games because he tested like there's absolutely a lot of positive tests in our other sports. The Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees both had like moments where half their team was out and they played through it. The main difference has been the NHL has been the league that has postponed games because what did the, the Senators got up to 11 players or 10 players in a coach or something like that. And uh, the Islanders as well. So that that's the big difference right now is that that's the one league that's actually postponed games. Maybe the NHL has just had a lower standard and the other leagues have said, screw you play through it. They kind of said that to the Red Sox and the Yankees, but I think that's the biggest difference there. Uh, Christopher Boyd also said, I bet a lot of players took the Johnson and Johnson vaccine and it's losing effectiveness. I don't know anything about that. I'm not a doctor, but he also said maybe more fake vaccination cards than just a Vander Kane. <laughs> I I will say the thought
2: had crossed my mind, but the fun part about the Johnson and Johnson is it's hey, it's one shot. It's about seventy percent seventy percent prevention, and uh, we were last to show up, so it's kind of like me in high school. The Jared Justice of <laughs> yeah. vaccine shots showed up late, got a seventy, and. Uh, slowly losing (laughs)
1: effectiveness so again why it is with the nhl maybe it's a little bit overblown maybe it's not that much different from the other leagues but they have had postponed games they have had to take teams set them aside and say hey you don't get to play for 10 days until you get this figured out all right something else brian kelly and notre dame all right brian kelly Takes the job at LSU. It gets reported that he's taking the job at LSU before Brian Kelly told any of his players. He ended up sending a group text to the team talking about how much he loved him and how he was so sorry they had to find out through social media and couldn't find out from him personally. And then he was like, but we're going to have a 7 a.m. meeting the next day to talk about this. Then the report yesterday from Pete Sampson was that Brian Kelly addressed Notre Dame's players for less than two minutes and did not take any questions. Oh. Just turned and left. Now, I don't know how many questions they would have had. Maybe they were angry and wanted to yell at him, or maybe they were just like, yeah, whatever, dude. Go
2: I got a get final to
1: do. Yeah, go get paid. It's fine. But I, well, I despise, but I love the story. I despise the idea of, hey... You guys all know the news already, but I'm going to make you come in at 7 a.m. so that I can tell you that news in 90 seconds and then not answer any questions you might have about it. Oh, my God. Are you showing up for that 7 a.m. meeting?
2: Is this the definition of this could have been an email?
1: Yes. I mean, (laughs) technically, I mean, it was a tweet. This could have been a tweet, and it was a tweet. And the other part of this, and as much as you hate it, Jared, Notre Dame absolutely has a chance to go to the college football playoff. Like it's not, I mean, they need like what, two losses or something like that. Like they've absolutely got a shot at the playoff and their coach is leaving. And so if you're those players, you're going to say, what the hell? Well, that was the part that I was confused about is your coach has gone.
2: Do you need a coach by this point in the season? Or can you kind of just go out there and sort of just run through some things? And, and the offense sort of
1: works on its own. How many coaches has he taken with him? Maybe that's the important question, because you probably need somebody to call timeout. Somebody to you got to, Does Notre Dame signal in plays with the backup quarterbacks like UNLV does? That's I don't. Favorite, I don't know. I, I don't either. But I hope I, they my do. My
2: vendetta against Notre Dame has gotten to the point of oh, if I see them on TV, I will watch like wonder figure skating's on. You know
1: you're going to watch them next year, right? Well, UNLV goes to Notre Dame? Oh
2: yeah, but. I'm going to hope to God that they're like a train wreck after he leaves and UNLV will beat them. And I will be, there will be there screaming UNLV graduate. Jared will be running around the studio with sparklers going. We beat
1: those mother bleepers. I mean, train wreck Notre Dame. eh, They might not be ready for mountain West freshman of the year. Cameron Friel (laughs) coming in. We, not me. It's very good there. So yeah, Notre Dame UNLV next year. Man.
2: That is either gonna be really good or is it it's gonna be the Ohio State game where it was like someone's gonna take a picture of the second quarter and then the
1: final score will be forty seven to twelve. Um, by the way, you should probably get Peacock because that's where that game will be. Already got Peacock. Wow. Jared's got some money to spend. Coming up next. Wait, you have to pay for Peacock? There's a free version. That's the version I got. I don't think Notre Dame games are on the free version. I think you have to get the paid version for Notre Dame games.
2: All right, so uh, we're going to need to find a bar that has Peacock. (laughs) Got it.
0: Watson grabs it. He misses it. And
2: Clark gets another opportunity. He missed it. And now the ball knocked out of bounds uh, by the Rebels. It'll be UCLA ball with 11 to go. And that should be the last uh, meaningful sequence in this game as the shot clock is off. Watson. Justin Webster commits a... An unnecessary foul. The only guy who's more upset about that occurred is uh, my uh, counterpart on the UCLA side. Josh is trying to get back to Los Angeles for the UCLA-Cal football game tonight. He's got a flight that uh, Mm -hmm. he's trying to catch. And that foul is going to hurt. 73-51. Jordan McCabe's just going to dribble it out, and uh, that's the way this one will end.
0: Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. This
1: is the press box with Grady and Bischoff. UNLV's got a shot at a quality win tonight. They take on SMU. They're on the road the next two. SMU and San Francisco. Either one would be a quality win. We'll be joined by the San Francisco head coach Todd Golden at nine o'clock, by the way. But SMU today uh, projected to beat UNLV seventy-two to sixty-five by Ken Palm. Now. SMU this year, similar to UNLV, has not actually beaten a good team yet. Uh, SMU's wins are McNeese State, Northwestern State, Southeastern Louisiana, Sam Houston State, and Louisiana Monroe. Uh, the three good teams they've played, Oregon, Missouri, and Loyola Marymount, and they aren't even necessarily good. They're just not terrible. They've lost all three of those games. So very similar to UNLV in that UNLV has beaten all the teams that are supposed to be on their schedule and have lost to all the teams that are decent. On their schedule. Um, so there's chance here. Uh, UNLV fairly big underdogs. right? Ken Palm has it by seven. So that's a pretty big spread there. Uh, but. I want to go a little bit. Inside basketball. On how teams are defending Bryce Hamilton. UNLV runs a lot of ball screens. Uh, that's sort of the primary point of this offense. Is they're going to get to a ball screen. At some point in the possession. And try to attack from there. Usually. It's for Bryce Hamilton or Jordan McKay. But in all seriousness, like literally everybody's gotten one at some point. Maybe Royce Ham is the only one that hasn't. But like Donovan Williams, Michael Nuga, Marvin Coleman, even Justin Webster. Like everybody's getting a ball screen at some point to do something. The way teams are defending Bryce Hamilton where he's struggling is they are hard hedging the ball screens. Hard hedge is not a trap. Kind of looks like one, but it's not a trap. When Hamilton comes off the screen, the guy guarding the screener is going to try to make Bryce Hamilton dribble backwards or towards the sideline. That defender is even going to leave his man for a few seconds. Right. And again, it's not a switch or a trap. The defender is eventually going to recover back to his man. Usually it's Royce ham rolling to the basket. Eventually the defender is going to go back to Royce ham, but the whole point of a hard hedge is to prevent Hamilton from coming off the screen and dribbling towards the basket. They want to stop him from getting into the paint. Coming off a ball screen, they want to make him dribble backwards or towards the sideline. That's the entire point. That defense, Wichita State's done it, and UCLA did it. That has led to some turnovers, and it's led to Hamilton just sort of passing out to just somebody on the wing 10 feet behind the three-point line where they've got to completely reset everything. It has shut Bryce Hamilton down because the hard hedge has exposed one of Bryce Hamilton's offensive flaws. The hard hedge leaves the roll man open, right? His defender is going three, four steps with Bryce Hamilton away from his man. So the roll man should be open going to the basket. Usually when you play the hard hedge, you have somebody in the paint that's ready to help in case the roll man gets the pass. But if that's somebody's in the paint ready to help, that means somebody's open in the corner. Bryce Hamilton's not a good passer. Bryce Hamilton doesn't have great vision. When he has come off these ball screens against a hard hedge, he has not been able to make that pass to either Royce Ham rolling to the basket or read the defense, see there's a help side defender in the lane and kick it to the corner for an open three. That's not, he has not done that in his career. He has not been a good passer in his career. There've been some moments where he's had some games where he's looked better, but it has not been consistent in his career. And that's what this defense is is doing to Bryce Hamilton. It's preventing him from getting downhill, and it's not allowing UNLV to take advantage of what's effectively a a four-on-three, right? When they send two guys at Bryce Hamilton, even if it's only for like two seconds, you have a momentary four-on-three, and because Hamilton is not a good enough passer, they can't take advantage of that four-on-three opportunity. So Kevin Kruger, in both games against uh, Wichita State and UCLA, has taken Bryce Hamilton off the ball. Bryce Hamilton has spent a lot of time standing in the corner while other guys try to create, while they run another offensive set. The logic here, especially against Wichita State, because they were effectively face guarding Bryce Hamilton. The logic here is you put Bryce Hamilton in the corner, you can almost play four on four with the other guys. And offensively, you always want, you'd rather have four on four, you'd rather have three on three, you'd rather have two on two. There's more space for the offense To operate, The less defenders are out there. So it makes sense in that regard. And listen, if they ever come off of Bryce Hamilton, you kick it to him and you hope that he can drive in against a closeout. But the problem comes back to a couple of things here. Bryce Hamilton can't shoot. So putting him in the corner, if I'm defending, I can help off of Bryce Hamilton. And if you kick it out to him, I don't have to close out on a shot. I can close out hoping to stop him from driving. And if he takes the three, no big deal. So offensively for UNLV, when teams have hard-hedged Bryce Hamilton ball screens, Bryce Hamilton's not able to attack and get into the paint. Bryce Hamilton's not able to pass out of this ball screen and get an open shot somewhere else. So it leads to other guys having to initiate and create offense. And as we've talked about this year, nobody has proven reliable in that role. They have not gotten enough from Jordan McCabe or Michael Nuga or Donovan Williams in terms of offensive creation. So you're asking guys that haven't proven they can do it to do something over and over, and it all comes back to shooting. You know, he does not have enough shooting. They've not had they've not shot the ball well enough from three. You can cover up a lot of bad possessions. You can cover up messing up a you know where the pass should be if you have good shooters. And they don't have that or haven't had them produce yet. So we haven't seen that, hey, it's kind of a bad possession, but hey. Knock down a three, everything's okay. So, like, they've got some offensive issues, and one of it starts with just a simple way teams are defending Bryce Hamilton ball screens. And this is maybe the first big test of Kevin Kruger: of, okay, how do you generate offense when teams are hard hedging Bryce Hamilton? How do you get points when Bryce Hamilton can't be your primary offensive creator? And that's so far, they haven't done a good enough job of doing it. Hell, they, uh, to be honest, they haven't done a good enough job when Bryce Hamilton is the primary offensive creator because he's having one of his worst seasons so far to start.
2: Is there, and maybe maybe I because I only have been listening to the game and stadium has been freezing on me a lot of the time. <laughs> Colbin to Hamilton seems to be something that was working at least a little bit against UCLA. Is there any person that can
1: be a you know, point guard instead of a point guard. I mean, technically Jordan McCabe. But the problem with Jordan McCabe is he's not a threat to score. Like Jordan McCabe is the best on the team at coming off a ball screen and reading the defense. There's no doubt about it. He's very good at that. The issue is if I'm, if I'm defending a Jordan McCabe ball screen, I'm not worried about him shooting because he he doesn't come off. He's not, he's not somebody that, you know, he's not a great finisher. So if he gets to the rim and can bother him a little bit, he's probably going to miss. So, like, I'm not concerned. Bryce Hamilton comes off a ball screen. I, I'm i concerned that guy can score if he gets into the paint. If Jordan McCabe gets into the paint, okay, like, shoot it. I Like, I'm not that bothered <laughs> by it defensively. So, like, it comes down to who you are defending. And that's where we talked about it in the preseason. We've talked about it so far after uh, seven games. It's got to be Michael Nuga. Like, Michael Nuga has a track record of being a guy that not only gets a lot of layups, but finishes a lot of layups. Like, he's had a good percentage at finishing layups, but even better than Bryce Hamilton, right? That's the guy that I think it has to It has to be Michael Nuga that can do it. We I haven't seen enough. Is Michael Nuga a good enough passer? He's probably not going to be a great passer, I'd assume, coming off of ball screens and really breaking out of defense. You'd hope he's better than Bryce Hamilton, but... That's where it comes into is is McCabe's good at reading ball screens, but he's not really a threat to score. Nuga should be the best threat to score coming off ball screens, but we haven't seen enough of that. After those two, maybe Donovan Williams, but Donovan Williams is much more Donovan Williams is much more of a hey somebody else broke down the defense, my defender's closing out, and I'm able to get a step on him because he's got a poor closeout, and I can get to the rim. Like that's where Donovan Williams that in transition is where Donovan Williams has excelled, and that's probably where he'll continue to excel. I don't think Donovan Williams is a guy you can give the ball to, hey, here's a ball screen, make something happen for us. Bryce Hamilton can do that sometimes. Michael Nuga should be able to do that, but we haven't seen it.
2: Does this team need, like, a guy with driveway game? Like, the, just like a, basically a sharpshooter type? Like, because they you said that they aren't hitting threes. It seems like they're taking a lot oh, of Oh, they they're shooting a lot.
1: They are absolutely shooting a lot of threes. There is no doubt about that. The threes continue to go for UNLV. Let's see. They have taken uh, 41% of their field goal attempts have been three-pointers this year. Uh, The national average is 38%. So they're not like crazy. They're not like top 10 in the country. But they're well above average in terms of percentage percentage of shots that are threes. They just brick them. Yes. They are currently 319th in three-point percentage this season. They are shooting 6% below the national average.
2: Who are they above? Yeah, that's a good question. We've got to schedule those
1: guys. Yeah. Uh, well, their UNLV <laughs> opponents haven't shot that well from three. All right, here you go. They are a, they're ahead of BYU. What? I'm not going to pretend to have watched BYU play, but what? All right, let's see. Notable teams they're ahead of. BYU, Miami is shooting 27% from three this year. Pitt is shooting 26%. Uh, Rutgers shooting 26%. Um, Who else is on this list? Nobody else of significant value here. Uh, Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, (laughs) McNeese State, Vermont. Maine is the worst three-point shooting team in the country. They are shooting 17.8% from three.
2: Yeah, that's just surprising considering, like, if they recruit locally... That's
1: all the whole team should have driveway game on. This is amazing. So main basketball this year, they're shooting 17.8% from three. Their opponents have hit 44% of its threes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Just pack line versus pack line and one team can't score
1: 17 to 43%. That is insane. Like, UNLV's not shot well, but their opponents have only made like 33%. Like, UNLV's given up 6 percentage points on the three-point line, which is a, big, that, that is a big deal, but it's only 6 percentage points. Maine's almost giving up 30 percentage points. Well, that's insane that they can be that bad from three while their opponents are that good for three. That's unbelievable. All right, we got a $50 Amazon gift card to give away right now, plus you're going to have a chance to win... Tickets to the Raiders and Chargers on January 9th and a $200 gift card to the Raiders store at Allegiant Stadium. You will have to be at Silver Sevens tomorrow for Cofield and Company to win the Raiders Chargers tickets plus that $200 gift card to the Raiders store at Allegiant Stadium. Cofield and Company will be at Silver Sevens tomorrow, some Thursday night football, plus if you win it right now, you'll be entered to win those tickets. So right now you get a $50 gift card to Amazon and you'll be entered to win a pair of tickets to Raiders and Chargers on January 9th, but you got to go to Silver 7s tomorrow. We will take caller number 7 at 702-364-1100. That's 702-364-1100. Swing and a high fly ball. Right field coming over, getting under it, and making the catch for the third and final out to put the ball game away. The Marlins have done the job. They win this one 2-1. to one.
0: We're back to the Press Box with Grady and Bischoff.
1: All right, Jared, help me out with this here. Darren Revell tweets that oh, Patriots God. quarterback Mac Jones has filed the trademark. Oh god. MJ10 for uh basically athletic apparel. Hats, shoes, shirts, socks, shorts, sweaters. Uh MJ10 is about as bad of a little nickname brand name that you can come up with, isn't it? It's not great. His name is Mac. I feel like he could have done a lot more with the name Mac. I mean, the fact that every time I
2: hear his name in my head, I hear the refrain to a the Mike Jones song where Mike Jones just screams his own name. <laughs> just all I hear is Mac Jones. <laughs> so I've, there's a ton you could do with Mac.
1: Yeah. I feel like he could have done a lot better than MJ 10, but that's apparently, Oh wait, hold on. See, it's, uh, this is already better. The, the business, the, uh, the LLC that technically filed for this is Mac 10 enterprises. So someone must have already, well, I guess the Mac 10 is a registered trademark because it's a gun. It is? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I'm just saying MJ 10 could have done a lot better with Mac 10. Also, another Mac Jones story that sounds stupid, but maybe it's real. All right. The New England Patriots have the lowest drop rate in the NFL this year. And according to PFF, they have the lowest drop rate that the Patriots have ever had, right? This is, the, this is the best catching team the Patriots have ever put on the field. And PFF wrote a story about it. And they're giving credit here to Mac Jones throwing an easily catchable ball. Kendrick Bourne, one of the wide receivers, says Mac Jones throws a ball, quote, it's like a pillow.
2: Is it that the? the I, for some reason, I think of it like kind of floating out there. You would think that get picked off, a right?
1: Lot. Yes, uh, I feel like this is a bunch of crap, and that that is not the reason the Patriots are catching more passes than usual. I feel like throwing a ball like a pillow, like you said, is a bad thing. Like that sounds like he doesn't throw the ball very hard, and normally. You need to throw the ball hard as an NFL quarterback. Like you need to have some arm strength. This sounds like Mac Jones just doesn't have arm strength and can't throw the ball, but we're giving him credit because the receivers aren't dropping the passes and we're trying to figure out why, oh, he throws a pillow. I will say that
2: having too much arm strength has been a criticism in the past of like they thought John Elway when he was coming out of Stanford, they went, he throws too hard. He doesn't put enough air under it. No one will be able, be able to catch it. Meanwhile, he
1: literally just threw it into their chest and went, I'm going to take you down with the ball. So there was a play against the Titans this weekend where Mac Jones threw it. I don't know, 40 yards down the field and Jacoby Myers made the catch. The Titans safety is there. Like he's there to make a play on the ball, but somehow he's early. <laughs> Like, he jumps to try to break this pass up, and he's a solid, like, second and a half early. Like, hand up to break it up, but he just goes flying past the receiver, and then the ball comes in behind him. sort of softly drops in. So, like, maybe there's a chance that Mac Jones throws the ball so soft, he's got such a noodle arm, (laughs) that defensive backs haven't adjusted. And they're like, man... I played that perfectly. And then the ball showed up like two seconds late. Like maybe it's possible here that Mac Jones is simply good because he throws the ball so much slower than everybody else. A lot of hang time. Yes. that defensive backs are like, I, I can't adjust to this. It's like when you're playing baseball and you face the one guy that throws 99 and then somebody else comes in throwing 82 and you're like, all right, I'm going to need like two at bats to figure <laughs> out how to start swinging at 82. And you only play Mac Jones well. Some teams twice a season. You don't have time to adjust, but he throws pillows. That sounds like a whole bunch of crap, but let's give him credit for it. He's got a noodle arm and it's good.